Welcome to Victory Points. I am Becca Scott, and this is a podcast about board games where I get to talk to amazing people about why they love games. Today, I'm interviewing a very talented game designer, publisher, and creator of Maple Games, Daryl Andrews. Hi, Daryl. Hi. Daryl is the co-designer of Sagrada, a game of dice drafting and window crafting. That's where I first heard of you. And Daryl is the creator and owner of Maple Games based in Waterloo, Canada, and uh, made the stop while traveling down a little road trip to Santa Cruz, right? Yeah, I was. Uh, I came to L.A. and did a road trip with my wife just to enjoy the Central Coast. And while here, I got to hang out with you. Oh, so cool. Well, I'm so glad you're here. And later we're going to discuss Euro games, what qualifies as a Euro game, because sometimes these esoteric terms, it's like, I don't even know what that means. Totally. We're going to help you with that. And we're going to talk about a few of our favorite Euro games, Castles of Burgundy, one of your favorites. Mm, I love that game so much. And uh, maybe a little discussion of Carcassonne, Mm. an all-time favorite of mine, which you've mentioned you enjoy. Oh, I love it. I love it a lot. Cool. Well, most importantly, what did you play as a kid? Yeah. Um, actually, the classics, for sure. Monopoly, Risk. Um, but the game that really got me into stuff was uh, Scotland Yard. <gasps> yeah. So that, w- that was a difference maker for me because it was different than a roll and move. Mm-hmm. I love the mystery of like sneaking around and getting to be Mr. X. And, uh, yeah, so that that was for sure the hook. Now, I've never played Scotland Yard, so explain how Mr. X works. Because I, I thought it was similar to Sherlock Holmes' consulting detective. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's very similar. Actually, it's probably kind of inspired most hidden movement games now. Uh, what, what it is is uh, a team of detectives from Scotland Yard are, are trying to uh, capture Mr. X who has an incredible visor to wear in the box, which is wonderful. Uh, And they travel around a map using uh, three types of transportation, taxis, uh, buses, and metro. And uh, you have a limited, as detectives, you have a limited amount of those resources to go on the different modes of transportation, but they each have their unique uh, advantages as you travel around their routes uh, on the board. And uh, while Mr. X has an unlimited amount of travel resources and is trying to evade you. Uh, But every, I think it is every fifth turn or fourth turn, you find out the location. Uh, Meanwhile, you only know the mode of transportation every turn that Mr. X takes. So every so often you have to use deduction to try to figure out the possible paths. And then if you feel really good, you try to make a capture. But if you're wrong, that's not so good. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I played a game called Mr. Jack that came out in 2006. Yes. Is it similar? Did there, they kind of borrow from absolutely. that? Absolutely. Again, Mr. Jack's actually one of my all-time favorite two-player games. Really? And they also have a pocket version that's like a travel version that's <gasps> wonderful and plays totally different. But yeah, oh, they're both awesome. kind of like those deduction chasing kind of games. And I, I really enjoy that. Cool. You mentioned a pocket game. I have a travel-sized Catan board I love very much. What other travel size pocket games do you usually bring on a trip? Ooh, that's a good that's or do a you, good one. Do you I pack should, a full carry on suitcase. Well, I am I am definitely guilty of doing the full suitcase and maybe the small luggage is for clothes. But uh yeah, but too. but some of the small ones that I really enjoy, um I am sure I'm butchering how you say it, but Chapur. Okay. Um by uh, I believe the 
again, I'm going to butcher his name. The designer is Sebastian Pichon. And uh, it's a wonderful game that uh, you're, it's kind of a card set collection uh, with camels. It's really cute. Um, and I, I heard a rumor that it's maybe even being remade soon. Uh, so that that that's one. It was uh, published by a company called GameWorks, mm-hmm. who just was acquired by Asmodee. So what wasn't? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so the nice thing is you can see those games coming back someday. Um, I love that game, and I actually got to visit the designer. He lives in Switzerland. Cool. And, and he lives next to a castle that is a museum for games. Um, that sounds like a board game designer's dream. Yeah, it was it was kind of like a heaven moment. I kept like checking if I was alive. So what what got you the invite? Yeah, so the, the fun part is I ended up uh, getting to know him through some conventions, and then uh, my wife was on uh, a work study uh, research grant where she got to see her job in three different countries. And she got to pick the countries. So she chose Switzerland, uh, Italy, and Spain, because why not? Yeah. And uh, while we were in Switzerland, um, I connected uh, with him and also uh, with a gentleman, Tom Felber, who is the or was the head of the Spiel de Jar jury. Oh, wow. And got to play some games at his house and then got to play some games at Sebastian's place. So. Spiel de Jar, of course, being the top prize given out at Spiel in Essen, Germany, right? Yeah. So it, it's uh, if anyone's looking at a game box and they see kind of an award symbol that looks like a keyhole, that's how I describe it. It's like this little golden symbol. Um, and every year they give it out to like the game of the year, uh, which is usually, again, kind of looping it back, like a Euro game, like a game that... It's family friendly. Uh, usually, has a good visual appeal to it, and uh, kind of could could be something that the masses would enjoy. Sure. Yeah. Is that a goal of yours to someday have a spiel de jar I would, under your belt? I uh, that would be the dream for sure. And I actually am cheating this year. I'm I'm partnering with Restoration Games, and I'm working on a game that previously won a spiel de jar. Ooh. They haven't announced it yet, so I don't know if I can say, but... Then you probably shouldn't say I too sh- much or tell us everything. Or tell you everything. But uh, but in short, that's going to be my cheater way to say that I, I got a spill de jar retroactively. So. <laughs> you came on board something that already had it, but I say that counts. Hey, hey I, I co-designed the newer version. So. Yeah, it's like you draw a card that already has your victory point condition you've already fulfilled. Ooh, I like that example. Thank you. You nice. know, this is how my brain works all of the time. Yeah. Victory points. All right. Tell us a little more about what it's like to create a game studio. How did Maple Studio come about? Maple Games. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of an interesting, unique uh, cir- circumstances. Uh, I, as you mentioned at the intro, got to be part of co-designing Sagrada. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sagrada opened a lot of doors and opportunities for me. Um, just with working with different people and uh, getting to know different people. And I met uh, a couple people, uh, Arno Charpentier and uh, Tongi Sierra, um, a couple French gentlemen that uh, were looking to um, support making some game studios. Wow. So they actually started with Colossal mm-hmm. and uh, with Travis Chance and supported uh, his vision of, of building a game Studio. And I've been then, pimping them out a lot because I love Western yes, Legends. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Western Legends was their first. 
Yeah. And it was a smash. And then they've continued to just roll out game after game after game. Very cool. So um, thankfully, they really enjoyed Sagrada. And uh, they're connected with Madigo games. And they, they also uh, do the French version of Sagrada. And so I, I got to know them. And we kind of started chatting about what I love to do. And I love designing games, but I also like developing games and finding games. Um, and I, I've done that for other companies. And so they said, well, for what about if you IDW, got- right? Yes. Yeah, Very absolutely. Cool. So uh, yeah. With their friend, Ross Thompson. Absolutely. Yeah. So I got to work with Ross there at IDW. I worked there for about a year as their kind of uh, consultant on development and product acquisitions. And that was really fun. And yeah. I got to do that a little bit for Bezier games and do some dev work. On so does that essentially stuff. mean that a bunch of games are sent to whatever studio and you just play through everything and if you find something that you see the spark of potential in, you you offer them a deal to help develop that? Yeah, so I would I would deal with all the submissions through the mail. Um, even just like emails where people might send a video or a rule book or something, just trying to get their foot in the door. Mm -hmm. And then especially at conventions, uh, it could be, you know, uh, public facing retail ones like Gen Con or Origins, but it could also be more like designer focused ones like Unpub or Protospiel. I would be sent to those and I would look around and try to find the next hit and see if it's uh, if they're interested in working with us, so it was a it was a really fun job. Um, is there any burnout that comes with seeing all the worst games? I it, imagine it, there is there is definitely uh, a lot. So, for example, not this Gen Con, but the Gen Con before, I was working for IDW, and I saw over I think my count was 167 different games. And wow. um, now I didn't play them to their full. Like length. Sure, you give it a turn or two. But yeah, exactly. You try a turn, you hear their vision for it, what's kind of the goal and what's unique, what's special. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of games that you filter through. And that was even after I had filtered through hundreds of entries that just submitted asking to take a meeting. Wow. So. Um, is, there, is there a certain state of mind or how do you pump yourself up for a day like that? Or is it just sort of, I just got to do it and maybe I'll find that diamond in the rough? Well, I think that's how I actually figured out that I love doing this because I wasn't dreading that. Like, really? I, I really enjoy that. Like, I love the energy of someone coming in. If they're nervous, like, I want to encourage them. If they're if they're excited, like, you feed off of that. You, I, I try to give, like, really helpful feedback in the moment so that they can, you know, their next pitch go well. Because um, you kind of have an opportunity to make people's dreams come true a little bit. That's it. Like, that is... The coolest moment. I thought the coolest moment would be when my first game got signed, and I would see that for myself. But it's even cooler to make someone else's dream come true. So. Oh, that's so beautiful and noble. I love that. It's it's less satisfying when it's just for yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's special when you know someone else has like invested what you have invested, or even more, and they and now they're finally being recognized for it, and you get to be part of like kind of finding them and and uh, being part of their journey, it's, it's, uh, it's a special moment. Now, is it just as easy to come across games and, and do the same process that you're used to doing with Maple, which is a smaller, newer studio? Or is it a different process, and how does that change it? Yeah, so early on, it was very much the same process, just uh, 
kind of put it out there. Anyone who wants to put out uh, submissions. As we were kind of finding ourselves and finding out what kind of games we're even looking for, we really looked at everything. And then as we started signing a few titles, that kind of gave us a bit of an identity and a kind of understanding what we're looking for. And then uh, we also kind of got to the point where we had enough games that we had to say to people, like, we really appreciate it, but we're small and we can't make a ton of games. So, you know, give us a little time to focus on these. We don't want to be a studio that has, like, 50 games signed. We want to, you know, be in single digits and focus on the games we have. And then as they get finished, then we can consider what's next. Is that about two a year or more or less? Yeah, so we, we did two last year. And our hope this year, fingers crossed, is to do four. So we'll see how that goes. And cool. uh, yeah, from there we'll kind of assess what worked and what didn't. Uh, you know, we, we want to be respectful to like our fans and our supporters not to oversaturate things. But if there's more demand and we can find ways to make more games, then we'll, we'll try our best. Expand as needed. Yeah. Now you mentioned a criteria that has become the taste of Maple Games. Sure. What falls under that category? That's a good question. We're still kind of finding it, but one of the things, uh, so our first game was called Dragon Boats, and it was a game by Michael Schock, and he's very much known for kind of a classic uh, design. He's a, a German designer who really tries to make interesting decisions um, but it's not hard to learn, but it's maybe hard to master. And it really matters what other people's choices are to then affect your choices. So there's some interaction, but it's subtle. It's uh, it's not attacking in your face, but it's still um, the other players matter and your choices really matter. So um, And so that really kind of set the tone that we have a kind of a difficulty scale on the side of our I boxes. I see this right here. I really like it if you're watching Thanks. the video. This has two and a half maple leaps out of five on folding space. Yeah, so we think folding space is right in like kind of our sweet spot of difficulty rating, our range. Um, I believe uh, Dragon Boats was a three. We put out our second game, which was Imagineers, which is a tile-laying game where you're making um, kind of a theme park, but you also have a personal roller coaster, and you have that tough decision of they're double-sided tiles, so do you build towards the, the public park, or do you use the other side to upgrade your, your distinct roller coaster? Mm. And you use kind of a Mancala uh, mechanic to move the different guests around while trying to match up guests to your rides and maybe not match the other people's rides. Uh, oh, cool. So, yeah, it's a really fun, again, we, we call that a two complexity because toweling games are very intuitive and um, very inclusive. And so we try to make it really colorful and fun and family friendly. So, so again, so that's kind of the range of two to three. I'm so, interested about this Mancala mechanic of moving guests because yeah. I remember uh, a game called Theme park, yep. and uh, I'll have to look up who put that out. But it, it you're you're creating a theme park, and it's for robots, of yes. course. And the robots don't move. And to simulate that mechanic of what it's like to really have a, a theme park, I like the idea of the people rotating around. Yeah. That. So um, both the, the the designers are Chris Leader and Ken Franklin, and they came up with. Again, what I describe as elegant, but uh, I think also it's just it's it's easy to learn, but 
really clever. It makes you feel clever when you when you make cool combos and choices. But you get to grab a clump of guests and then you travel them around the park and each step along the way you drop off a guest. And so Ooh, it's this kind is of, my ride. I got to yeah, have up uh, here. Here I'm jumping into this line and so as you do that, uh, there's always a few restrictions each day. Maybe it's a, a hot day and so water rides are are at an advantage or maybe um so on the another. day mechanic change there's yeah, a day so, mechanic so every 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 turn you flip a card and it kind of changes the kind of the advantages and the restrictions for the round Ooh. so maybe you have to grab a group with at least one yellow meeple in the group and so now you're you can't just choose from anywhere you have to you're limited and i think that's sometimes what makes games great is like that limited choice but still like a b or c Right, when you're limited so that you don't have the world of opportunity of choices that can be crippling, um, but it's what is the absolute optimal play I can make and I don't have to play out a thousand scenarios, I can play out five and easily see that this is the best option for the yellow meeple. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, uh, that's when I think games really get feel like tight and it gives you these like excruciating but in a good way kind of uh, frustrations or, or tension. Yeah, and I shouted out Steam Park. That was made in 2013 by Yellow Games. Yeah, Do you say yellow? How do you say that? Yeah, I say yellow. Okay, cool. It's I-E-L-L-O. Yeah, I, so. I didn't know that for I a long time. picked a pronunciation. No, you nailed it. For okay. a while, I said I-L-O, and they were they quickly corrected me. <laughs> there's a few companies now that have rebranded that I also am, like, catching up with how you're supposed to say them. Right. The so, op. The op, for yeah. example, or uh, come on. Oh, it's come on instead of Simon? Yeah. I won't do it. No. No. It's it's Simon. I I actually stood in front of their booth at New York Toy Fair and said, Come on, Simon, a few times. They didn't, <laughs> they didn't, they didn't like that. But did they like it more the more you said the joke? I I think no. I think that's how jokes work. <laughs> I tried. Oh, maybe do it at the next con. Yeah. I it might be a regular thing for me to say <laughs> to Eric. So the the fun part was uh, coming uh, up in game design. Did I you got just to name know, drop Eric well, Lang. I did. I was just gonna. I was prefacing it, but I, Eric Lang was actually one of the first people I knew from games. What? So he lived like twenty minutes from my house, and I would do playtesting with him. That so. that crazy genius madman. Yeah, that that madman. So he's he's actually a very generous supporter of the the game designer community in the yeah, Toronto he seems area. Seems that way. And oh, wow. so we we actually miss him because we feel like. Uh, Simon uh, stole him away to yeah. Singapore on us, but we were we were spoiled for a few years to have Eric around with us. I mean, when when given the opportunity to move to Singapore, who could say no? Yeah, I don't I don't blame him. I I, I still keep promising him I'll come and visit, but I just haven't uh, saved up the the points to get all the way out there. I had the honor of meeting him at Spiel the Ooh, past yes. year. I got to do a little interview and. He has done, he's one of the most prolific designers out there. Absolutely. It's hard to list them all. I'm thinking Blood Rage. Yep. He did the Godfather's game. Yes. He's doing a lot for Simon now. Absolutely. Uh, what are your some some of your favorite Eric games? Uh, it's funny. Most of my favorite Eric games are like under the radar, under the radar ones. Like, so I really liked his, uh, oh, what, I'm drawing a blank on the name, Academy. It was a co-design yes. of Kevin Wilson. Uh, 
Arcane Academy. Arcane Academy. That's Thank a you. really fun one. Super under the radar game that I really enjoy of his. He had a he had a trains game that I enjoyed that no one really knows about. Trains and stations. Oh, uh, I that he did with Wiz Kids. Um, and then his all time classic, Chaos of the Old World, is of like his. I haven't played that one. But his kind well of known. crowning kickoff game. I mean, everyone's into uh, you know the moderns, the the blood rage and such, but. Uh, some of his oldies are some of my favorites. Yeah, he's been doing it a while. Oh, and XCOM, of course, is one yes. of his really big ones. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Um, so you're, you know everybody in this the game world. I, th- I thankfully knew some very generous and influential people early on. I Speaking of, can we talk about one in particular? And then you can sure. tell us about Folding Space. This game is designed by Alan R. Moon. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Alan uh, designed... Ticket to Ride, which in my opinion is one of the greatest games of all time that will stand the test of time that everybody yes. knows about. Absolutely. How, what was the experience like working with him? Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. So Alan Alan has designed some of my favorite games. Actually, my all-time number one game is a game called San Marco. Yeah. And, uh, and Alan co-designed that. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't know about that one because it was the same year as Carcassonne. And so uh, Carcassonne stole a lot of the attention that year and won, you know, full circle here, Spiel de Jar, which helps a lot of people know about games. So, um, but I, I've known Alan now for a few years and uh, thankfully attend an event that he runs called The Gathering of Friends. Oh, it's kind so of so nice. It, it is. It, it started with him just rounding up some friends and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now it's like four or 500 people. Wow. So I've been attending that for a while and have gotten just to hang out with Alan. And, and he co-designed this with Bobby West. I got to know Bobby the last few years because he's been working for Haba Games. And the two of them uh, live in Syracuse and make games. So they pitched, they pitched this game to Maple right at the very beginning, and I fell in love with it. Uh, we wanted to take our time and develop it and get it ready. And so... It's coming up kind of full circle one year from the day that we signed it. We're, we're launching the Kickstarter. So it'll be one year from um, from when I first saw it on April 16, and we're going to launch on April 16. But you guys have – this is your final printing, yeah? Uh, so like we, your- we have like kind of like a professional prototype kind of printed. And so we're going to go to Kickstarter and hopefully reach some stretch goals and make it even better. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Okay, well, we're going to dive into more of our favorite Euro games, but first we're going to take a short break. Welcome back to Victory Points. I'm sitting here with my guest, Daryl Andrews, who is the president of Maple Games and co-designer of Sagrada. Hi. Hi. All right, let's jump right back into it. So what is a Euro game? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm definitely not the technical answer, but I, w- I would say in general, Euro games have some traits or characteristics that are all the same. Usually there's no player elimination. Mm-hmm. Usually there's multiple paths to victory. And uh, traditionally they're kind of like a, a non-conflict conf- kind of a, a friendlier theme. Right, so you're only farms or less combat, more, <gasps> no, you took the resource I wanted. Right. I mean, they can be mean. <laughs> Secretly, yes. like under the hood, they sure. definitely there can be some mean moments, but it it almost has to be like passive aggressive. Yeah, it's either oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't see that that was exactly what you needed to complete right. whatever you were trying oh, to yeah. build, or it very much was that. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, let's see, other things about Euro games that I found. Oh, uh, Theme is sort of secondary right. in a Euro game. Absolutely. Like you could build a game about space that has the same mechanics as a game about ancient Rome. Yeah. Um, and it's more about the mechanics of the game being unique. Yeah, more. no, I think that's a really good point. Like, at, at the end of the day, theme helps, but it's often maybe not the, the priority. Right, and 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 luck is usually less important than strategy. Yes, dice are rare. Yes, Catan being the exception because it's considered a Euro game, but it is so luck dependent. Absolutely, and it's funny. Like, there's definitely like perceived luck. I think with Euro games, luck is good as long as you have chances to mitigate or respond. Yes. So, like for something like even Catan, even though there's luck with the dice, they're they've very much emphasize, you know, the probability of a of a eight or six is so much better than than a twelve. Yes. Can so, I tell you my favorite thing? I haven't tried yet, but it's a Catan hack. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. So Alex of Level Up Dice, which okay. you've probably seen him or met him if you've been to any con yep. in North America or all over. He's uh, an Australian gentleman who wears a purple kilt and is the owner of Level Up Dice, so he's always at that booth right. uh, selling the coolest dice. Um, so here's the hack he told me. You replace the dice yeah. with playing cards. Okay. But yep. um, you give the exact same weight of the dice rolls to sure. the cards. So, you know, on Catan, uh, beneath the number, there yes. is a number of pips. Yep. And uh, if, if you're rolling a 1 or a 12, that's very unlikely, so there's one pip underneath sure. it. And if you're rolling a 6, I believe that's 5 pips of likeliness. That sounds right, yeah. And so you need two decks, I think, for this. But you take playing cards, and you put in one one, one twelve, uh, five sixes, sure. and everything in between. And on your turn, instead of rolling dice, you flip a card. Okay. And you treat it as if it were the dice roll. Sure. How insane is that? I love it. I love it. I said one, one and 12. I meant two and 12. Sure. Because I'm crazy. Um, I'm really (laughs) excited to try this out because for me, Catan is a love-hate thing. I I will often, if I win, I say I love this game. Right. And if on my first placement, I I get uh, a bad bad couple of rolls, I'll say, Never want to play this again. <laughs> right, I just I just blame the dice. So I just yeah. I I think I'm phenomenal at Catan, but but maybe <laughs> maybe it's just not a good day with me and the dice. The dice don't know. Yeah, and the statistics of dice are very bizarre. Even though four is not the most likely, if you roll a four, it's very likely that in that game. You could roll, you know, eighty percent fours right. because absolutely. dice are absolutely unpredictable. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a sucker for dice, and obviously Sagrada has lots of dice in it. True, but, but there's other mechanics. There's other mechanics, yeah. and so, but in general, like, there's just something really satisfying about dice and dice rolling. Yeah. Although I'm a big fan of when you can make choices off it. So you mentioned at the beginning Castles of Burgundy. Mm-hmm. I love that game because you have so many cool choices and you can modify the dice. Okay, tell me how to play Castles of Burgundy or how you describe it. Absolutely. I, and I probably won't do it justice because it's one of the greatest games of all time. But uh, I'll do my best. So, for example, in the game, uh, each player has a... a um, a mat in front of them, um, or basically a map of uh, hexes. And the hexes each have dice numbers on them. And uh, throughout the course of the game, you're going to cover those with tiles. 
And so uh, as you're uh, acquiring dice, using your dice, each of your dice um, can be used in a multitude of ways. So always when I teach the game, like I have to like warn people like, this is going to take a few minutes. Your mind's going to be a little blown for a minute or two, but it'll all come together and it'll be really easy. Right. And so the dice can be used for acquiring certain tiles. The dice can be used for placing certain tiles. You can um, activate tiles. You can, you know, there's a variety of ways. But the cool thing about it is that uh, when you're choosing your dice and using using them towards your actions, because they can be used in multiple ways, it doesn't have that kind of that luck feel mm -hmm. when it comes to dice. And the other thing is that they have tokens that help you modify your rule. So for instance, if you want to change that four into a three, you can spend one of their little plus minus tokens and make that die like change over. So, um, oh, I love that. Yes. I, lo I love the rolling of dice, and I like when I'm able to change those dice. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so you you feel like there's a more of a sense of control. And then the other thing that makes that game just incredibly satisfying is that you can combo things. Ooh. So you feel like you kind of get an engine going because maybe you acquire a certain tile that then you when you place it it triggers and it gives you another tile and, and then that tile on, on does your, something on your map in front of you there's different color sections right absolutely. and when you filled up one section that's when you score absolutely okay. so and it's even it's even modified um, or multiplied depending on what round you do it so the earlier that you can complete a whole section then it's going to be multiplied by a higher value so you're really motivated to try to complete sections as quickly as possible, but it's difficult because the bigger the group, the bigger the size, the harder it is to get that many of that because everyone's drafting competitively against each other, sure, trying to go. get those tiles. So you're going to see your neighbor really needs that blue tile. Maybe I could use a blue tile right now. And so... Or do you want to go for green and only yeah. green because you know that the blue player won't be going for that? Absolutely. Ooh. And so there's all those kind of things. My, obviously, my favorite uh, tile is they have this hunter green castle tiles, which is Castles of Burgundy, and they give you an imaginary free extra die. So you can just, oh, and I have a five. And so that's awesome. just super wonderful. Is this... Does it fall under the Eurogame category of theme is very much secondary? Because in looking at this game, I thought, I don't feel like I'm in a no, castle. No, you're not. You're, it's definitely theme is secondary. It is all about crunchy decisions. And really, it could be set anywhere. You could really be doing anything. Uh, when you teach the game or describe the game, you're not using a lot of theme when you're describing the game. It's very straightforward mechanics. But but when it comes all together, you've, you've kind of built this kingdom. And I think that's really what they're going for is just you're, you're kind of building up your kingdom in comparison to everyone else. You can have asymmetrical boards or you can have all the exact same boards. So And who can go home at the end of the day and say... I built a kingdom today, right? aside yeah. from board gamers. That's a that's a really productive day. Yeah. Oh, just wanted to mention that sometimes Euro games are called designer games. Oh, Have you heard cool. of this? Because they started the trend of putting the designer's name oh. on the cover. That that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting, and it's funny. I've heard also um, German games, German style games. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so there was. For example, the first place that I used to buy games in Canada, there was a website, an online game store, and it was German games. 
com, and that oh. was just what they were known as. Um, and then the funny thing, the last few years I've discovered is that in different countries, they call designers different terms as well. I stumbled into this because places like New York Toy Fair and uh, Tag, uh, the Chicago Toy uh, Expo, um, they refer to designers as inventors, oh. which makes sense uh-huh. uh, because they're more on like the toy side. Sure. But then through discovery, I've, I realized that there were even architects. Uh, Game architect. Yeah, which sounds awesome. I'm definitely putting that on my business card. Sure. Um, inventors, authors, game authors. That was an interesting one. If it's a more story driven or just all the time? Just all the time. I uh, Some of them are centric to regions, so like France or Asia or. And I'm trying to remember the allocation to them, but. Sure, maybe it's more of the translation. Yeah. But there was definitely like kind of like the view of the role of a designer is, is different depending on the region. Yeah, some are more creative, some are more uh, engineering. Yeah. Hmm. So, interesting. So yeah, that was that was fun to discover. Speaking of different regions treated differently, some would say that the opposite of a Euro game, which I just since we're talking about definitions, yes. I want to educate our listeners Absolutely. and talk about. Ameritrash yeah, for a absolutely. second. And I don't have many examples of this that I plan on talking about, but um, Ameritrash is a game that, aside, is very much take that or mm-hmm. a combat based game. Yep. Uh, highly developed theme and characters or heroes that uh, have player to player conflict, player to player conflict, and um, usually more luck involved. Yeah. And I feel like this is more of a gateway game, but it's definitely not my favorite genre right. per se. How do you feel about Ameritrash as a genre? Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the name, obviously, because <laughs> it was different, different tastes, uh, but I've never, I've never been into like mini games or like highly thematic games, so that's just kind of like I have less experience with. The closest thing for me are games like Risk, mm-hmm. but... Um, Definitely, like I see these intense thematic games, and and they're they're a little intimidating, actually. I find for myself, uh, but I'm also a little jealous because people are like really into them. So, sure. So I appreciate kind of the the engagement and the story that they drive, but sometimes they just maybe not my style. Yeah, I guess I do like. Games in that category, and obviously they were named by not an American, (laughs) or maybe self-disparagingly were, Um, but they're they're just a different play style. Like a combat game, I'm going to play with a different group of people. I will play that with someone that has learned to not take it personally, whereas if I'm playing with my friends, a a Euro-style game, we can all enjoy, or family especially, without... Anyone crying right. or getting emotional or storming out of the room because P- you attacked just them? Yeah, but uh, de- I, as an extremely competitive person, yes, I find all of these compelling. Yes, um, as a Canadian, would you say you you fall into the Euro style? It seems well. More. It's funny because Canadians have, uh, and I I think this is actually a, a bit of a trend. Why there's a lot of Canadian designers is that there's an appreciation for both sides. Oh. And I think actually more and more games are no longer one category or the other. They're hybrids. Sure. We, we've learned from each other. We've, we pick and choose elements from different games we enjoy. And then we have, we have leanings. So I think more and more we're seeing 
games that kind of bridge those gaps. And even when it's something that's considered a, a, a significant, you know, Ameritrash game, we, we mentioned Eric earlier in his game uh, Blood Rage, but I tease him and I say that that's Sushi Go with minis. <laughs> so that's an example to me where, like, there's influences from all around and we're just making new games because of it. So Canadians are kind of playing the hybrid game, I think. Oh, I love that. Very cool. Okay, one last game I want to talk about, and then we'll go, because it is one of my favorites of all time. Okay. Carcassonne. Yes. So I can describe this one for us. Please. Uh, Carcassonne is a tile-laying game where you are earning victory points with worker placement of your meeples, which you have a limited amount. But when you flip a tile and add it to the collective map that everyone is working on, you can place a knight in order to score points for a completed city, which takes several tiles to complete, or just earn, earn points as a highwayman for placing your meeple on a road. Roads are boring. You don't want roads. <laughs> yeah, they're super boring. Or the most complex and most uh, combative of meeple placement would be a farmer oh, when you yeah. lay them on their side, and farmers are subtly gaining more and more farmland, but you have to control the most of that farmland to earn points for it. Um, That's a great description. Thank you. I play so much carcass. Right. <laughs> I also um, always wondered why laying down is the farmer position, but... Oh, wow. What does this subversively, subconsciously yeah. say yeah. about our opinion of farmers? Right? So <laughs> They're just lying in fields making snow angels out. all yeah. the time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I actually I had the privilege of getting to play Carcassonne uh, in the offices of the uh, publisher, the original publishers, uh, Hans and Gluck. They're oh. in Munich, and I got to play – some of uh, the prototypes are for expansions in their office. And it was really funny because my wife came along as well, and she is a phenomenal Carcassonne player. I mean, And she crushed it. them. <laughs> and it was, very, it was very much like I was like, sweetie, let the Wookiee win. But she just couldn't dial it back. She's so good. She just destroyed them at it. It was, it was awesome. I would love to meet her someday yeah. and be crushed in Carcassonne by her. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Ticket to Ride and Carcassonne are her go-tos. And I'm go guilty. On. I'm super guilty of like always bringing out a new game and wanting to try the newest thing. And she's always begging, like, can we just play Ticket to Ride and Carcassonne? Like just tournament of, of those two games would be her ideal world. We have a very similar... Uh, um, marital dynamic when it comes to games because I, of course, am always bringing home a new game right. and my husband loves Carcassonne more than yeah. anything. Yeah. Ticket to Ride can't go wrong. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so fun. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to me today, Daryl. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. You have enlightened me with many things and uh, I hope to see you all across the globe learning about new games and Absolutely. playing in weird places and weird castles in Switzerland. For sure. All right, let's do it. Cool. Is there anything you want to plug before we go? I, I did see something called Starfish Kingdom is coming out in 2020. Yeah, so Maple has a few games coming. So Folding Space is our next one, April 16th, and that's co-designed by Alan Moon and Bobby West. And, and people should look it up on Kickstarter and then support it. Please, get their that, copy. that would be super helpful. And the art is stunning. It's by Vincent Detroit, who's one of my all-time favorite artists as well. And then Peter Wilkins doing the the uh, the art and graphic design behind behind the scenes as well, the art direction. 
Um, he did Sagrada's art. Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So uh, he's actually uh, kind of the co-founder of Maple with me, and so we have the luxury of having Peter on all of our projects now. Amazing. And then, uh, and then our, our next upcoming summer releases, we have Starfish Kingdom, which is a remake of Octopus Garden, which okay. was a design by Roberta Taylor. And it's a beautiful um, kind of under the sea set collection game of placing shells and coral and starfish and octopus uh, throughout the, the sea floor and trying to maximize kind of the points for it. It's beautiful and we're really excited about the production of that. And uh, we're also hoping later in the year to do a game called Mind Management, which was a comic book series uh, from Dark Horse. The original creator, Matt Kint, is doing art for us and original content and uh, doing little comic book rule books and stuff like that. And it's designed by uh, Sen Fung Lim and Jay Cormier, who did games like Belford and Akrotiri and Junk Art. And it's a hidden movement game with kind of a legacy element. So each game you play, um, depending on which side wins, you get to unlock uh, some additional components and read a little comic to hear more of the story. So that'll be our fall release as well. Well, those all sound phenomenal. Daryl, it is such a joy to spend time with you, and soon we will play games together. Awesome. I feel it. All right. Thanks so much to you guys for listening. Please rate this episode, review it, and like, and share, and subscribe, and do all those things. And most importantly, tell a friend in person that they should subscribe and listen, because that really helps us out. All right. Take care. Awesome. Bye. Bye. <laughs>